learnings, but we've, um, we're always learning. I feel like this job hum humbles you so often. And the minute you think you know what you're doing, you, you get proven wrong. And so you just have to be really eager to, to learn. And, you know, we spend a lot of time doing retrospectives on ways we can get better, whether it's sourcing or underwriting or winning deals, because part of this job is you just see so many companies every day and you're in so many investment conversations that you're just going to make a ton of mistakes. Um, and even calling them mistakes might not be the right word. You're just going to, um, you're not going to, to win every deal. Today we had Jeff Morris Jr. on the board. Jeff Morris Jr. is the founder and managing director of Chapter One. Chapter One has invested in companies like Mercury, Superbase, Superhuman, Dapper Labs, and Pipe, to name a few. Morris was previously the VP of product revenue at Tinder. In simple language, he was the man behind building Tinder. In his role, he led the revenue team to the number one top grossing app in the app store globally. In this episode, we covered very interesting topics around fund building, starting from the founding story of chapter one, importance of having a differentiated product as a fund manager, how to evolve and stay relevant as a fund manager, advice on fundraising, sourcing, and building relationships with LPs for aspiring fund managers, why one should start a fund or why one shouldn't, why most successful fund managers are also the most humble fund managers out there, and much more. Now I bring you Jeff. Jeff, so good to finally see you on a video chat and speak to you. We have always uh, been communicating over email and thanks for uh, coming on the part. Yeah, really excited to be here. And yeah, I feel like we know each other through the internet. So it's fun to have a chance to, uh, to, to, to record a podcast together. So Jeff, a good starting point could be maybe you can walk us through, you know, what drove you into angel investing uh, and later what was the founding story of uh, chapter one yeah, sure. So I uh, was pretty lucky to grow up in the area. So I always had kind of a understanding of what uh, startups were and what investing was. And um, I actually didn't think I was going to do this for a living. I wanted to be uh, a screenwriter. So I, I went to film school and kind of went down a, a very different career path for about a year or two. And then I realized uh, that this was 2007, eight, and there was just so much going on in particularly in social and mobile. And so uh, quickly pivoted careers and moved back to the Bay area and uh, I was operating, working at different marketplaces. And I guess when you live in the barrier, the way you kind of support your friends, if you have the ability to do so, is you you become an angel in their startups. And so I did that for a couple of my friends and really fell in love with just being um, a supporter to them. It wasn't a big dollar amount, but it was kind of these uh, really cool journeys that you could be a part of as, a, as an angel. And it was a good break actually from working on a single startup because when you go, when you're operating, as you know, you're just like banging your head against the the wall trying to, to to solve one thing and you know when you go home at night it's nice to have other kind of phone calls that you can you can um talk about different problems in tech and uh, so I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it I, I um didn't take it very seriously as a job and then i went and worked as the vp of product and revenue at tinder for about four and a half years and the uh that role was really exciting because i was, I was leading revenue and we became the top grossing app in the world and really i think pioneered with a few other businesses spotify netflix this transition from ad products to subscription products. And that new business model was uh, kind of my calling card to get access to a lot more deals because people would call me and try and figure out how we were monetizing the business and how we were growing um, growing Tinder. And it just really kind of made me well-known within tech. And as a result, I ended up becoming a, a, a 
scout for index ventures and and then i did what a lot of people do at the time and i got on angel angel and begged everybody to to back my spv and started to syndicate deals and gradually built a portfolio where by the time i left tinder there were there was a data room that you could look to and say hey jeff has a track record and i think for me doing that was a way to accelerate my career so i didn't have to go work at another fund it was because I'd already done so much investing on my own. And um, I kind of looked around uh, all the different venture funds and talked to a bunch of different partnerships and realized that starting a fund seemed like a really exciting idea because I had ideas on things I would do differently than the funds I was talking to. And and we're in fund two, probably year five or six of doing this. And it's still a lot of fun. It's definitely, uh, the challenges are different every year and every fund. And so you learn a lot and I'm I'm just continuing to to. to love this job got it so seems like angel investing came organic to uh, organically to you and and you built the brand through your work at tinder where you know the the high or the competitive uh deals of founders are reaching out to you and then of course you uh worked uh, as a scout for index you were building the brand uh, maybe jeff we can break down uh both the fund one and the fund two uh what was the experience of fundraising also the portfolio construction has the portfolio construction uh changed from fund one to fund two and what's the importance of uh portfolio construction yeah definitely so i think everyone's fund one is an access fund in many ways like you're trying to fundraise while investing and normally you don't have a first close that is like the entire fundraise and so you end up writing, I think, smaller checks in your portfolio as a result becomes a little bit bigger and, and less concentrated. And so fun one for me was checks. Uh, it was a $10 million fund. Initially, went out to raise a, a 3 to $5 million fund and had more interest in the um, check sizes were anywhere from 50K to 500K. Now, I thought it was really important to, as the fund progressed, to start leading or co-leading deals to kind of show that ability. And I knew I knew to raise fund too, I needed to have some uh, examples of deals deals, competitive deals that I was able to go win on my own as a solo GP. And for me, it was a real confidence builder because I was oftentimes going against partnerships, like real funds to try and mm-hmm. win those deals and was able to do that. And I think that really um, paired with, I had some early success stories with within that fund. I was able to go raise a, a $40 million vehicle in 2021 and paired with an opportunity fund. And so right now we're managing close to $60 million of capital and uh, we've grown the team quite a bit. And so we're six full-time people. And um, on the first one, it was just me doing everything with Angelus as my back office. And now we're a very institutional fund. And so we feel great about the progress we made. But the now the evolution has been show that you can co-lead and lead the majority of deals that you do, which is, I think, a, a, a big jump for any manager because you have to maintain the quality bar of those early access checks and prove that I think it's really um, easy to win, to co-lead or lead kind of like the, the second tier deals, but to really like go to bat against the top top funds as a startup, because we, we think of ourselves as being kind of a startup as a, a newer venture fund is hard. And you, you have to you have to prove that you can do that repeatedly. And so I think for any manager, that's really the, the challenge and there's different ways to get there. But I think that's yeah. um, that's probably the biggest jump for fund two, because then you're, you're going to fund three and maybe you want to grow the fund a little bit and you need to really think about how you're going to grow your check size. And for a lot of people, that doesn't come as easily as others. Got it. Uh, you know, so from starting from being an angel, writing five to 25K checks, and then the first one, you know, writing anywhere between 50 to 150, and then the 
Uh, second fund is around leading, which is in you know, writing checks into millions. So it's a different game. You know, uh, founders want to have you on the cap table. It's not that difficult to write a 25K, even if the deal is very, very competitive. So how, uh, Jeff, have you over the years built that brand, meaning that unique value proposition for both uh, for founders and uh, for LPs? Because the second fund was way, way larger. Uh, the portfolio construction was different. What worked for you? Uh, while you were raising fund two? Yeah, I think we really emphasize the team building aspect. And so I was a part of the solo GP class of 2019, which had a lot of really talented solo GPs, but I was pretty clear that I didn't want to be a solo GP in fund two and that I wanted to build a team that would compete against those funds. I kind of had a, I had an idea towards end of fund one that I could win a lot of deals, but not necessarily win um, enough deals to have a, a compelling portfolio out of a, a larger fund. And so I really thought about the, where our value proposition really resonated was being a pro- this is, is based on being a product fund. And so like the fund that will help you find product market fit. And that was based on my background on growth teams and product teams and leading revenue teams. And so we really tried to amplify that. And so we brought in one of the former um, lead data scientists at Twitter. We brought in um, uh, folks from Scale AI. We've had people on the team from Facebook and Instagram. And so we all with product data science or engineering backgrounds. And and we kind of, you need to come up with a, a, a wedge, like a reason to exist for your fund. And we've made it very clear that our reason to exist is, a, is purely to help teams as, as much as we can uh, find product market fit because we feel like that's really all that matters if you're a seed stage company is can you um, can you find product market fit within a two or three year period to, to raise a series A and so that's really been the the evolution I think the you know it's really hard to come into this industry with as a new fund and not have a focus whether it's a value proposition they're focused on or a sector and I think the best way to do that is to, to kind of think back to think back to like the early days of why you were winning deals as a solo GP or on your own and then try to try to amplify that through adding teammates or um, or really kind of doubling down on, on a very specific value proposition and one thing we challenge ourselves to do as well is we're constantly iterating on our fun model and our fun thesis and our, our outbound messaging to try and again it's a search for product market fit, which we tell our founders they need to do. We're always trying to do that with our fund and saying, hey, the world is changing so quickly within early stage venture and the founder communities change depending on what technologies are emerging. And we need to always be very paranoid about losing our our edge and what we think is our our version of product market fit. So really every fund, we kind of go back to the drawing board and say, hey, over the next three to five years, how do we stay competitive? And um, and hopefully it's it's organic to what we think we're, we're uniquely good at. Mm-hmm. Got it. You touched upon a good point where, you know, you're constantly thinking about evolving and getting better. And it's it's mostly around, you know, the, the game of staying relevant. Uh, Jeff, maybe you can talk about what has your journey been around? How do you think about constantly uh, getting better and staying relevant? Because we've seen, you know, the last two years, how uh, the industry as a whole has changed so much. Yeah, I think it's hard. I think this is probably something that is the least talked about um, part of venture is, is, is it's really hard to stay relevant in our industry for 
multiple funds and multiple vintages because the founder community gets continues to get younger and younger. And as a venture capitalist, you, you're not getting younger. And so you need to be curious enough to stay engaged with whatever emerging technologies are, are happening at any given moment. And um, you need to figure out your wedge to, to kind of like staying relevant to those founders to the point where they, they want to work with you and they want to seek you out to, to be a partner. And so I think it comes back to your value proposition. You need to figure out a value proposition that's a little bit that's timeless um, and has staying power. So if you're whatever you're pitching, it better be relevant in five to ten years as kind of what you do best. And then I think another way to to stay relevant is to to stay as close to the company creation process as possible. So whether it's we've each fund either accelerated or incubated a couple of companies. I think what it helps us do is um, really stay close to like the product stack and just like how you build software changes pretty dramatically year over year. If you just think about, or I think about what I was doing in in 2019 at Tinder, a lot of that, um, a lot of those processes in in software, um, the softwares we use are already outdated. So I remember like we were, our design team was just transitioning from um, sketch to Figma as an example. And now Mm -hmm. if you think about the design industry, like everybody uses Figma, right? I'm sure there's still sketch users, but that's just one example of, um, you know, the, like workflows change entirely and you need to stay close to, to the building process, I think, to stay relevant too. Mm-hmm. Guys, just is staying curious and, and doing for the right reason. You got to love what you're doing and because the things are changing so quickly and it's, as you said, rightly said, it's so hard to stay uh, relevant over a longer period of time. Jeff, you were, uh, you know, a few weeks back uh, hanging out with a bunch of uh, fund managers. Uh, maybe you can uh, double click on, you know, what were your learnings uh, from that evening? Yeah, I think there's just a lot of people want to want to be in venture and want to be creating their own funds. And I think the aspirations when I was first joining the tech industry were to go work on Sand Hill Road. And now like the number of people at the conference who were leaving big funds to go start their own fund was really astounding. And so it really brought this back home to me, which is is like you really need to create a different product as a, a newer venture manager. You can't just come and say, hey, I'm leaving X company or X fund and, and therefore I deserve to have a, a my own venture fund you need to have really a unique angle or focus it could be a sector it could be as i said a value proposition it could be a stage um you you need to come up with something different otherwise there's just too much competition out there and then you know i think the second part of it which which i didn't i don't know if my article addressed it but i think there's just going to be a lot of venture funds sadly that either go out of business or fail to fundraise like whatever you want to call it i think it's going to be a really tough time as a fund manager to um to raise your next fund right now and so again this is all a challenge to every manager to, to figure out hey you know why what am i doing that is going to be not only attractive to founders, but also really stand out amongst limited partners. Because if you think about the number of pitches you get every day as a, a venture capitalist, LPs get the same number of pitches from GPs trying to raise venture funds. And so when you're going to call with LPs, you really need to have a different take on the venture market to, to stand out. Um, so those are those are a few takeaways. Got it. So uh, again, uh, I think there's about 3,000 or more uh, VC funds in India I mean, in the uh, U.S., so you've got to oh, have, US. No, I, I meant uh, uh, U.S. Uh, India, we have, you know, about 15 institutional funds. It's still a very nascent market. There's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, solo GPs and, and, and uh, emerging fund managers moving forward. Uh, 
Jeff, with this, maybe, uh, you know, uh, through your experience, we can talk about why one should do a fund and why one should not do a fund outside of being, let's say, if you if you have a differentiation, of course, you know, you should go do a fund. But other factors, let's talk about them. Yeah. I mean, I think, first of all, you should do a fund if you truly think there's some version of venture capital you want to practice that doesn't exist in the world. Like if there's a specific idea or or some area you want to explore that just like other funds wouldn't hire you to do, that's a pretty good indication that you should you should start your own fund. Um, you should also start your own fund if you feel like you want, like if you feel the need to create something. I think that's probably like the biggest thing I notice amongst the people I talk to. They have an entrepreneurial spirit. They feel like they're founders, right? And I think people forget a, a, a new emerging Emerging manager, a new fund is company building. Like you're building a business. You're not. Um, you're not just investing in companies. Like you have to build a business. There's a, a lot of infrastructure and back office work that's required to to do this every day. And so you have to enjoy that part of it too. And then maybe lastly, I think I think you just have to. Um, you you should not start a fund if you just want to be like the GP or the main kind of like the main person because I don't think that s- sustains itself over time. Um, it's a. This is a very hard job. It's lonely at times too if you're a solo GP. So I think you should really think strongly before you start a fund about partnership dynamics, building a team, um, kind of like how do you build a franchise, right? I think those are. I see a lot of people leave a f- big funds and they they like want to get started right away. They're like, I want to raise a fund and I want to do a first close in three months or six months. And I'm kind of like, you should you should kind of take a minute, take some period of time to really figure out what you want to do because once you raise your first fund, it's such a long commitment. You're 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 signing up for ten plus years of managing that fund, and I think people often get so excited just to to start a fund they they don't do kind of like the pre work to um, answering the hard questions like why why do you exist what's your mission why will founders want to work with you um kind of how like how will you be different and so got it got it so uh jeff uh let's say you know i have these qualities where i have a differentiation i'm uh you know i'm 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 looking forward to signing it up for the next 10 20 years uh, maybe we can talk about a you know journey where let's say i want to do first fund as 10 million and second 30 or 40 like yourself uh how one should go about fundraising uh, how would you know one source lps uh build relationships what kind of lps uh, one should be reaching out and maybe you can share uh, you know your journey yeah i think i i got lucky in some ways in fund one we had a well-known fund of funds come in as our anchor and they did this through a pilot program where they basically invest a small amount of capital in emerging GPs. And then they say, if you, you know, depend on how you do with this this smaller amount of capital, we'll be your anchor in, in your next fund. So I feel like we we had a lot of momentum coming out of fund one. And it was just, frankly, like the fundraise for fund two was, was fairly straightforward because I think our, our performance and our, our data room looked quite good at that time. And we also, I think, you know, benefited from, from 2021, I think was obviously easier to fundraise in 2023. And so... There was momentum there. Um, we ended up adding one other institutional fund, so a foundation. And at $40 million, it's kind of this tweener size where um, well, one part is we had much more demand than 40, but we kept it smaller because we that's what we kind of went to market with and told our anchor LPs we would do. But the second part of that is $40 million is, a, is an interesting size to kind of raise from institutional funds. They're, they want bigger funds. And so you have to figure out what who your audience is. I think for these these kind of like 40 to $80 million funds that often ends up being uh, family offices, high net worth individuals, 
Um, and then maybe I think it's very important, though, to get one or two institutional backers or people who can come back in for fund three, because most most um, foundations, endowments, fund of funds, when they sign up for one fund, they're underwriting at least two funds. And so mm-hmm. it gives you some stability from a, a capital planning perspective that you'll have the ability to grow your team and to at least have um, some some assurances that you'll have a fund three. Because I think when you're trying to build out a team, you want, you need to plan around kind of like that next fundraise. And then fund four, I think um, for most people, like you, you really towards like fund three, four have to start showing DPI. And so... Mm-hmm. I kind of think our first fund was that first like non fund one for us wasn't really like a institutional fund. So it can almost be considered like our fund zero because fund one is more. I've heard from institutions like if you're not over $15 million, they don't really consider that to be an institutional fund. So even if you show DPI or 3X a $10 million fund, it's hard yeah. for them to underwrite that at a larger fund size. And so, yeah, you're always having to, um, I would stress if you want longevity, you do at some point need to make that transition to raising from institutions. Uh, and the only reason I say that is, is that's more stable capital. And so you, when you get a down market like we're in today, you hopefully mm-hmm. have some LPs who can um, stick with you and say, hey, we know the market's tough, but we're here for the next fund. And um, also that, you know, I think it gives you the ability to go fundraise from other LPs because it's similar to when a, mm-hmm. you know, when a co-leader lead does pro rata in a startup, you kind of get that, um, that like signal during, during your own fundraise. Jeff, uh, maybe we can talk about the learnings, uh, both on the fundraise, uh, fundraise and uh, in the investing side. Maybe what's something you know now you wish you knew earlier about fundraising and the, the follow-up would be, you know, what's something you know now you wish you knew earlier about investing? Yeah, I think I'm fundraising. I didn't realize how much this job would be fundraising. And this idea, again, I think I was really fortunate for fund two that we were able to fundraise so quickly, but I didn't talk to a lot of LPs between fund one and fund two. And I feel like that was part part of me was thinking like, I just need to go find the best deals and spend all my time with founders. And that worked back then. I think now the market shifting to, to being, um, I would say there's, there's just way more GPs and LPs can, can invest in. Mm-hmm. You really need to build relationships on an ongoing basis. And so, you know, you're always fundraising. I think if you don't, again, like back to the question on why you shouldn't start a fund, if you don't like fundraising, this job's not going to work for you because you have to, you have to be fundraising all the time. And it's, 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 I think this is a part that's less clear to founders is that we're doing the same thing they're doing. Just, we have to go fundraise from different people. And so a huge, huge part of your job is just fundraising. I think I, I didn't fully appreciate that. And I wasn't very strategic around managing relationships and building relationships i kind of learned that over time and now i think we're we're getting better um investing wise i think i think i've been fun one should have been way more founder driven and less um motivated by markets or or other factors because i kind of look back on and also i could have built a bigger portfolio i think for a sub 10 million dollar fund if you meet a talented founder and you you think they're credible and they have a track record you should most of the time invest in their in their companies because the number of deals that we passed on um that end up becoming large companies is just kind of breaks my heart and so um you i think your job in fund one is again to prove access and to to give a preview of your ability to co-lead or lead deals but the portfolio construction should be very flexible because even fifty thousand dollar checks in a ten million dollar fund if you pick the right company is going to return the fund and so 
so those are probably two two of the biggest learnings. But we've um, we're always learning. I feel like this job humbles you so often. And the minute you think you know what you're doing, you you get proven wrong. And so you just have to be really eager to to learn. And you know, we spend a lot of time doing retrospectives on ways we can get better, whether it's sourcing or underwriting or winning deals. Because part of this job is you just see so many companies every day, and you're in so many investment conversations that you're just going to make a ton of mistakes um, and even calling them mistakes might not be the right word you're just gonna um, you're not going to, to 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 win every every deal it's just not going to happen and so um, so yeah you're, you you just have to stay really humble and I think the best people I know in this business and I know a lot of older VCs who are very who've done quite well in their careers you feel like they're doing this job like they, they might as well be in their first fund the way they they like operate and they're you can just tell they're they're highly competitive people and they're very humble for the most part got it so on the fund fundraise side always be fundraising and the investing side uh there'll be a lot of learning and stay humble and just be curious and fresh uh with this uh Jeff, uh, we'll move into our final part. Uh, my co-pilot, uh, Alfonso, is uh, asking me to ask you. He He's asking, what's your typical day like? Gosh, it's pretty crazy right now because we have a 10-month uh, daughter. And so she's, like this morning is probably a good example. I woke up at 6 and changed her diapers and fed her breakfast and played with her until 8 a.m. And then had to jump off her investment committee. Uh, we had a founder who was telling us they were leaving to do something else. And so we ha- had had a uh, heart-to-heart and then um, prepared for a nice uh, sorry, an AGM. So we're having an LP call on Thursday and I'm going to New York tomorrow at 7 a.m. Uh, mm-hmm. and I'm going to have dinner and then go to the gym right now. So it's just non- nonstop really. And you just have to like the grind because it's, it's, it is, I know, I know there's a lot of memes about VCs being like somewhat lazy people. And it's just not true if you really do this job at like, if you aspire to do it at a high level, you, you yeah. really need to work hard. And so I don't, um, I think the memes are funny, obviously, because like VCs are inherently people that, um, are easy to poke fun at, but this is a really hard job and you have to, you really have to sacrifice a lot of your personal life and, um, and sleep to, to do a good job. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, uh, when you're out there building a, a, a firm from scratch and, uh, and Jeff, you know, we know you uh, as a as an operator now, as an investor. What do your friends know you for? Who are you outside of work? <laughs> yeah, I think my friends would say I'm very much a homebody. Like I, uh, I feel like my, our my weeks are so crazy that my friends don't actually like see me unless they come to my house. And so, um, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, for the most part, I mean, I I have a pretty simple life. I have uh, a great daughter, as I mentioned, and my wife Simone, and we we mostly just hang out as a family. And then um, outside of work, I like to golf when I have a chance and um, do a bit of of, of traveling. But I I wish I had um, I wish I had more creative answers. But right now, it's like very focused on building chapter one and 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 my family, and that's about all I have time for. Got it. And Jeff, uh, is there anything that that you've been wanting to learn but just haven't got the time yet that's a great question um 
things I want to learn. I mean, there's so many things I want to learn, but I think I wish I just had more time to build software. And so it's not um, like my favorite, one of my favorite moments of my career was in 2014, I took a break from everything and I went to a boot camp and learned how to how to code for six months. I'm a really bad programmer, but it, it was enough to kind of get me to to be able to, to build really hacky prototypes and ship software. And so I, I wish I just had more time to, to learn new technologies and, and build things. That's probably what I would do if I had if I had time. I'm working I'm always kind of like working on a on a side idea. So I'm working on a little mobile app right now, but those are kind of the things like I enjoy if I'm not working or with my family. Like I really love tinkering with with software. And so I wish I just had I always wish I had more time to, to do that. Yeah. Got it. And and Jeff, uh, uh, let's say if you know uh, for for a moment you're an LP, uh, any or I would say, what would be the three funds uh, that you wanna invest in, and why? <laughs> These are hard questions because sometimes you name a fund that you think is an exceptional fund, then you hear through back channels that the funds haven't performed as well as you as their brands <laughs> might suggest. But um, no, I, I think on a like I really think of this as being like what funds are differentiated and have a unique point of view on on the world and so probably starting off with Union Square Ventures USV I just have a ton of respect for the way they built the fund the firm um, I love their thesis driven model I think they've been able to to identify emerging technologies that often aren't aligned with what other funds are doing and they stick with them through different market cycles and so I really admire Fred and and Rebecca and I mean the whole team's fantastic and so I, I, I think highly of them Founders Fund I think has a, a really unique view on how they operate as a venture fund which I, I think is is interesting so every investor every partner kind of runs their own business within Founders Fund and there's not a lot of overlap in terms of of sectors and it's very it's a very independent way of, of operating as 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 investors while being part of a really powerful brand and team um, I also love how they build they're all building companies a lot of them are CEOs as they invest I think that's really unique and then last thing that's probably a pretty easy easy and straightforward answer is I, I just admire the longevity of Sequoia and so I've been lucky mm-hmm. to work with them for um, for a lot of years and and grew up I, I knew I knew uh, Doug Leone as a teenager kind of in the Barry and also um, I just think it's they're like the New York Yankees of venture capital right they're just such a uh, durable and they've won so many championships right and so when I see excellence and like undeniable excellence you just want to be around it and kind of learn from it so I spend a lot of my time this Sequoia is not as public with their processes as other funds but if you were to watch enough YouTube videos you could get a feel for the culture and um, I think that's really mm-hmm. unique and so I, I, I look up to them but there's honestly you, we could do a whole show and I could probably name 20 or 30 funds and I'm an LP in a lot of funds too um, that I think mm-hmm. are just really unique we got it uh jeff thank you so much for coming on the pod and really you know sharing your journey and learnings of uh building chapter one uh thank you so much for doing it yeah appreciate it